In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors, or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 72 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Uh, 172 in Giants history. That is Luis Aquino, uh, pitcher for the 1995 Giants who pitched five innings, gave up 10 earned runs. Uh, Andy, thoughts on Luis Aquino? I, I'm glad you told me he was a pitcher because that at least gives me something to go on. Um, I, I'm sure the statue will be erected any year now. Um, yeah, wow, one number 72 in Giants history. That There will be another number 72. I'm going to say within the next five years, we will have another number 72. With any luck, within the next, like, two months. And he'll just we'll be great at pass protection. Just wonderful. <laughs> uh, we have a Padres-themed episode today. And to help us out, we have Dennis Lynn, who is uh, our Padres scribe on The Athletic. How are you doing today, Dennis? Doing well, thank you. All right, Padres... Uh, topic that's near and dear to my heart because I do enjoy needling Padres fans. Uh, I don't know why. It's like, I don't know why. I think it was like the Dodgers picked on the Giants so thoroughly for so long. Like I was like lashing out at the Padres was my way um, before, you know, the Giants got all championshipy. Lashing out at the Padres somehow felt like, like, you know, hitting your, your middle brother instead of your oldest brother. Well, I think it's totally understandable. I mean, uh, Tim Linscombe has two no-hitters against them, and I don't think anyone can dispute the fact that he was definitely not in his prime when he threw <laughs> those two no-hitters. So, Padres, as everyone knows, still do not have a no-hitter. Um, I'm probably too close to this, but their fans, in my opinion, are uh, probably the most vociferous in the league. Uh, definitely not the biggest uh, majority or anything like that, but they are a very... Um, I don't know if sensitive is the word, but they're very invested in their team. It's true. You know, um, Jonathan Sanchez also, by the way, no hitter against the Padres. Feel we should point this out. This is, <laughs> this is not supposed to be a bag on the Padres thing, you know, although I guess I started it. Yeah, I think I think the Padres fans are used to a certain amount of uh, neglect and hate just based on how little they've accomplished over the last few years and last decade really um and even last season when 
they signed Manny Machado. The uh, the Giants managed to finish above them in the standings. So I think your uh, your point of view here is understandable, but also you're being very compassionate by you know, pointing out that people should stop bagging on the Padres. Yeah, no, and, and you know what? I I do think like the Padres fan mentality that you referred to. Like I love that mentality. That's the mentality I grew up with, where it was like, oh yeah, you hate candlestick, you know, and it's just sort of like it, you build a crust over it. And I also think like the Padres the minor leagues and sort of how they're managing their their baseball operations are definitely on the way up and here's when we're talking about the teams that are most hurt by the shutdown the teams that uh really just the timing is all wrong we've mentioned the Dodgers because they're going to lose uh most of a year or maybe an entire year of Cody Bellinger and and Corey Seager and their young core but the Padres were clearly building towards you know now next year they were one of the few teams that was spending money they're, they're getting our Cosmer and Manny Machado to build around the young core that's coming up it, from the outside it looks like they are in the top tier if not like the top team that's hurt by this stoppage would you agree disagree with that yeah I think I'm with you um, on that they, they they're definitely up there I I think uh, it's interesting to think about what might have happened or how dire things would be for them if they had somehow landed Mookie Betts and they would be looking at possibly not having him play a single game for them after they traded a good portion of their farm system for him. So in a way, they got lucky with that. But uh, if you look at how much they've invested in the farm system, uh, pouring uh, basically 80, 80 some million dollars a few years ago into an international signing class, uh, they've got Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino who were supposed to debut this year and still could, but these guys are Guys who could be losing out a lot of development this year, and these are guys who are crucial for their uh, their timeline of competing in 2020 through, uh, they hope, 2030. Um, so these guys, uh, you think you would think a lot of these minor leaguers, their development is going to be pushed back a year um, in a lot of cases. So we'll see what happens with the uh, potential MLB season. But uh, you're right, you're right on there. In my opinion, that the Padres are definitely a team that's more hurt than most. Yeah, I feel like pitchers like Gore and Patino. I mean, they, they'll they'll obviously uh, suffer from not being able to develop this year, but at least they're not burning service time. Like a Fernando Tatis Jr. could be a generational talent, and and he's basically going to have a whole year of his service time burned. Uh, or a Bellinger with the Dodgers. I mean, those are the ones that I think are are really damaging to teams. Um, so I, the Padres may actually be in a sweet spot. This would be worse if it were happening to them maybe a year from now when they had graduated more of their minor league players to the big leagues. Um, but I guess what, what I find fascinating about um, just the way that they've operated under A.J. Preller is it's been such a yo-yo. It's like, let's go in and let's trade for all these big name guys. Let's make all these big splashy signings. And now let's really pull back. And there, there's just been... Um, there, it doesn't seem to be a cohesive kind of plan, but now, now they've definitely stepped back and, and they've invested in the minor league system. W- what did you make of, of the Padres initially when Preller took over? Uh, was he just going from marching orders from above and, and in terms of his aggressiveness and how much he was spending? Um, or, or did you see uh, him sort of change in, in terms of his vision of how to build this franchise over time? I think we have to keep in mind the owners um, at the time who had just taken over a couple of years before they hired Asia Preller, Ron Fowler and Peter Sadler. Uh, neither of them um, had experience as owners coming in before that. Of course, Peter Sadler is uh, part of the O'Malley family. So he'd been around the Dodgers growing up. So he'd seen that, but uh, this is really very new for them. So when 
AJ Preller was coming in. Uh, there was a lot of speculation that he was the the one guy among these uh, many GM candidates who uh, included Mike Hayes and uh, Billy Epler, Tim Ang, um, quite a few others, that he was the one guy among that group that pitched them on. Uh, there's there's a path where we could not just have to rebuild right away. We could kind of go along parallel tracks, and one of those tracks is trying to compete right away, and we can uh, trade all these guys that Josh Burns put into organization on the roster and we're not really excited about these guys they don't have high ceilings and they're not exciting enough we can trade them for uh something else something a little shinier um hope to uh give it a go for a year and obviously they did give it a go in 2015 um but if it doesn't work out we can turn around and trade them um obviously it didn't work out the uh farm system took a hit when they uh they went for guys like matt Kemp and traded this Monty Grandall, who turned out to be pretty decent as a catcher. Um, and they got all these guys who just didn't really gel and they traded for a year of just nothing. And then he walks and they don't, you know, get anything for him besides the draft pick. So I think, uh, it was also always going to be, um, let's try to, um, you know, kind of do both things at the same time in the beginning, but if it doesn't work out, plan B is we turn around and trade them. But, uh, that again, that, kind of set them back in terms of the timeline. Um, and I think people are still maybe forgetting that they started this rebuild in 20, 2016. So if you're looking at most rebuilds being five plus years, um, they're still maybe not all the way there. Um, but uh, you're right, Bags. They, they've done interesting things like sign Eric Cosmer, uh, obviously signing Mach- Manny Machado signals that they're very serious about competing in the very near future. And they were last year because they brought up Fernando Tatis and Chris Paddock on opening day. So uh, there's definitely some impatience there from ownership. Um, Asia Pillar, I don't think, has ever subscribed to the we need to tear everything down in the studs, that kind of mentality. Um, he's uh, he's very kind of itchy finger and very uh, he's very, um, you know, just enthusiastic about getting in on the action, trade action and everything. So I think there is a coherent plan in that they think um, as long as some of these young guys come up and start producing like Tatis and Paddock did, they're going to be okay in the end. But uh, I think there's definitely been some questionable decisions in terms of timing and just how to line things up in the uh, the best possible order. And how much, with the big contracts given to Hosmer and Machado, how much of that was telegraphed? Like, could you see that coming? Or when the rumors started getting hotter and hotter, were you sort of going, wait, really? Or like, it was ownership sort of telegraphing, hey, we're the only team in San Diego, we're going to, we're going to, build onto this roster and, and supplement it with all this this young talent or did it sort of come out of nowhere even for the people close to the team well i think um he was always going to go down that road it's just the hosmer one especially like some people by surprise just because it was still very early and they clearly weren't ready to uh, build a roster around them that could be ready to compete in uh, just even a year so when he did that that was interesting um just even that interest going after scott boris client like that I think that definitely took some people by surprise. Um, but then you think back and they, they signed Will Byers to that extension, which in hindsight, that hasn't turned out very well so far. Uh, there's a school of thought that, you know, the payroll was so low back then that the uh, ownership, again, uh, they were very new. They thought, you know, this would be a way to kind of placate some of the fans in terms of overall payroll to put a, you know, big, big contract on the books and kind of show them, hey, we're, uh, we're committed to investing in, you know, so-called stars uh, when we have, um, you know, some capital laying around. Um, but yeah, if you look at these, uh, these Hosmer and Machado contracts, uh, again, I think it comes back to timing, um, whether they've done them correct. And obviously a guy like Manny Machado doesn't come on the market every year. 
but in both cases, they weren't bidding against many other teams. Uh, it was just Kansas City in Hosmer's case. So there has been uh, some some just really uh, really weird really weird thought process that processes from the outside if you're looking at it. But I, I think I can also appreciate that they're um, they're trying to layer in some stars with these guys because otherwise uh, there wouldn't be a whole lot to watch uh, with the Potters over the last few years instead of just. Uh, waiting for prospects. Yeah, and it's actually a philosophy that I really can get behind, and I think the Giants are going to follow something uh, close to it. Um, You know, they're going to... I'm not saying that Hosmer and Machado were were successes, or you know, they're obviously still young enough to where they still might be a part of the next great Padres team, but the idea is, is you look at the future, you're scheduling three, four, five years out, and you're saying, if we're going to be contending, we're going to be contending because of these young players who are making next to nothing. So why not, you know, we're we're just sitting on this money now. Why not spend it on younger free agents? I mean, if if Hosmer hit like he did in his final year in Kansas City, he'd still be just turning 30 now. Like, that's that's great. You're going to pay that guy for a couple more years. And that's exactly what the Padres thought they would need at this time. And I applaud that strategy. Same with Machado. They, you know, he's still young. And they figured at this point, they would have this wave of underpaid young players and Machado would be young with them in a star and I I do not fault them for that strategy I think it's a great strategy it just you know it hasn't worked out specifically with Hosmer Machado yet but I think when the Giants when Longoria and uh, Cueto and Samarja and Belt and Crawford and Posey when they all come off the books if they're going to be good and interesting they're going to have underpaid players as the reason they're interesting so that you might as well spend on say Mookie Betts this offseason uh I think that's what the Padres did it just didn't work out yet but they're still both young enough to where that still might yeah I agree uh if the farm system does work out there could be as you just referenced a disproportionate amount of you know really underpaid uh, productive players depending on the next CBA how that pans out um, as opposed to just the, the really expensive guys and guys that you need to help usher these young players along as they get up. Uh, now, um, I guess you can debate whether Hosmer and Machado are the right guys to bring these guys along, but uh, they are um, still relatively, I guess, young, not Hosmer, not so much anymore, but Machado's 27. Uh, this would be, you know, theoretically the prime of his prime coming up this year if they have a season. And he's got, you know, all these years left on his contract. And uh, if you if you have uh, enough of these prospects hit, I think it does have the company. It does have the potential for a really good combination between guys who are really experienced and guys who are just uh, really cheap and really good. So there's definitely some thought process there. Um, it's just uh, we'll have to wait to see if uh, either of those two big guys pans out. Let's pause to tell you about Hawthorne. Smelling good is important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne Cologne is so easy, here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. So last year, I'm looking at the average age uh, of pitchers and hitters, and the Padres had the youngest group of pitchers in the National League. 26.3 was the average age, uh, just younger than the Marlins. And the hitters 
We're also the youngest group. 26.2 is the average age. Obviously, a Tatis will drive that down, essentially. Um, but, you know, when you look at what they did in the offseason, uh, obviously signing Drew Pomerantz was probably their biggest move. Pierce Johnson uh, coming back from really, really uh, good showing in Japan. Uh, Craig Stammen got a two-year, $9 million contract. What what was your take on just what they did in the offseason uh, and, and and how that team was looking in the spring, uh, you know, before before the pandemic. I, I thought coming in to the off season, a lot of people were expecting uh, number one starter, number one starter, number one starter. That was going to be their focus on uh, just reinforcing that rotation, which you just uh, mentioned. You know, it was very young, uh, a lot of inexperience there, and they've always kind of needed that guy to to guide them. I guess Garrett Richards could be one, but he hasn't pitched really anything any innings at all over the last few years. So that's a, that's a big gamble will come with him. Um, I'm hoping that he's going to stay healthy and stay on the mound. Uh, but I think they looked at the, uh, the starting pitching prices on the free agent market and the, uh, the trade market. And I thought, you know, we, we do like our young pitchers and we think it's, it's going to beho- behoove us to uh, let them continue to develop. And if everything works out again, we can uh, have these guys for cheap and that they're, they're controllable and they're can, they can be pretty effective at the same time. So I think they pivoted to Drew Pomerantz, who you guys definitely saw uh, took off in the uh, belief role, starting in San Francisco a little bit. And they uh, decided to reinforce the bullpen for cheaper, technically, overall, I guess. But if uh, if either of those guys or if any of those guys just um, kind of, you know, succumb to the volatility volatility of relievers from year to year, that's uh it's going to be some, you know, lost productivity there. Um, but, you know, they got Tommy Pham in the lineup. That's a guy they like a lot as far as uh, getting on base and setting an example for some of these hitters who just haven't been able to get on base for, you know, the last, uh, last you know, two decades really, it feels like. So there uh, wasn't a, you know, I wouldn't say it was an all-in offseason by any means, but they definitely felt like they were moving in a good direction. Uh, spring training was, a, you know, very exciting vibe for them as far as feeling like they had finally we're, we're finally about to turn a corner in terms of these guys uh, coming up, um, these pitchers that they, again, had kept on, kept kept in their rotation without, you know, adding a big guy. They thought these these young pitchers were ready to take the next step. So you had a nice bullpen to that. You had Tommy Pham. I think they were, they were hoping that they'd get in the 85 win range. Um, but, yeah, they're probably still a year or two off from, uh, you know, getting over the hump and now that there's a pandemic and possibly no season we'll uh, we'll see where their timeline ends up yeah when you look at that tommy fam trade with the rays i mean it's a really interesting baseball trade because on one hand you've got a guy who's been a pretty good major league player uh and he's moved around a bit and he's had some problems with uh, a manager here and there and obviously the problems in st louis were well chronicled uh but a guy who's just a, a really good player um can help you win a ballgame in a lot of ways. And on the other side of that trade, you got Hunter Renfro, who had 33 home runs last season. So two guys who've got, you know, some established major league credentials. And then attached on either side are two guys who are are pretty good prospects. Xavier Edwards going to um, Tampa. And then Jake Cronenworth, more of a utility guy who also can can pitch, apparently, um, you know, coming to San Diego. Both those guys were teammates, incidentally, on the Premier 12 U.S. team that was trying to qualify for the Olympics and played in Japan. So I got to see, I got to see Cronenworth play a lot more than than Edwards. He was more on the bench, but you know, two guys who who are well regarded as prospects. It just seems like that was an interesting baseball trade. Um, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, I guess you could call it a, one of those challenge trades where you know one side feels really strongly about what they're getting, and so does the other side. And we'll see in a few years how it pans out. Of course, that's 
that's the case with every trade, but um, I think, you know, Tommy Pham's elbow was a major concern for the Rays going down the stretch, and it was a huge concern for the Padres, obviously, after after they initially agreed to the trade because they had to uh, get him checked out by an elbow specialist, by their own doctors, and then there was this whole uh, drama about them, uh, you know, uh, trying to complete that trade. Uh, but if you look at another trade that they made, Luis Arias for Trent Grisham with Milwaukee, that's also a challenge trade because Luis Arias is still has the potential to be a really, really good second baseman. I know he also plays some shortstop, but he was going to be the second baseman in the future for so many years for them. He was going to be the guy who's going to pair with Tatis up the middle. And, you know, now he's gone and they bring in this center fielder who had a, well, he, he was, he's going to be their center fielder, they hope, uh, but he was playing right field, obviously, in the playoffs for the, Brewers as a rookie, and he had that, you know, that unfortunate play where the ball got past him and the Brewers lost, and, you know, the Nationals went on to win the World Series. So um, that's, a, that's a really interesting trade as well. But I think there's a lot of confidence in uh, the Padres scouting group from Preller. He uh, he relies on them to to make some of these gutsy calls and riskier calls that you might not see uh, some of these more analytically inclined teams make. So, uh, yeah, we'll see in a few years if, you know, guys like Tommy Pham, who's only under control for two years, and uh, guys like Trent Grisham are going to work out for them. But they definitely uh, made some gutsy calls on both those guys. Now, I'm looking at a projected lineup, and you know I'm not sure if I have this. This is from Fangraphs uh, slash roster resource. And so at the, t- at the top, you're going Tatis, Pham, Machado, and you're going, oh, heck yeah. And they've got Hosmer in the middle, and I get that. And you know he's still young enough to where he, he can bounce back. Uh, it's the back half of the lineup that has me sort of cocking my head. And I'm, I'm sure the permutation, the actual permutation, will be a little bit different, but when you've got uh, uh, Grissom, Profar, Mejia, maybe Cordero, some platoons mixed and matched in there, it just seems like the back half of that lineup is a whole lot of like 18 homer guys with 320, 330 on base percentages. And I'm wondering if you, the Padres maybe are projecting more than than I'm thinking, or if they're just hoping as long as nobody is hitting their floor, everyone's kind of, if everyone does that 18 home run, 330 on base percentage will be fine. Uh, what do you think their, their thought process is on the back half of that lineup? It's definitely not the Dodgers in terms of depth as you uh, just laid out. And I think part of, um, part of, the uh, going after Mookie Betts, uh, you heard them connected to Francisco Lindor, is a you know rec- recognition of you know we we really need some more uh, some more just impact guaranteed power in there. Uh, Will Myers has always been kind of a thorn in their side for the last couple of years. Uh, they've been trying to trade him forever. Um, obviously now that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but if he if he does bounce back, that's someone they can you know kind of bounce on in. This guy's going to hit maybe 20 home runs and at least uh, provide some extra oomph to the lineup. But uh, you're right. They definitely have a lot of questions in the second half of the lineup. Uh, Mejia is a guy that, that they hope uh, pans out, but there's still a lot of questions about his catching. Uh, maybe the DH helps there. Josh Naylor is a guy that they like. They like his bat, but he's also probably best off as a DH. Um, so there's definitely going to be a push, I think, uh, whenever baseball resumes to trade some of these um minor leaguers that they can't hold on to all of them for uh proven bad it's just you you wonder about um cost certainty and revenue coming in and whether they're going to be they're going to be able to afford a guy like uh, mookie bets when they come out of this um even if it's just for a year or two um, there's going to be a lot of concern about just keeping the payroll down i think in general for a lot of teams and uh, the potteries just definitely weren't there yet in terms of building complete lineups so if they're going to compete, they're going to have to wait on some of these prospects, I think, um, these hitting prospects, because they're probably closer 
on the farm system in terms of developing pitchers. And in terms of position player prospects, you don't hear as much about those guys because they have C.J. Abrams, who they picked in the draft last year. But he's only uh, he's only 19, and he's or 20 years old now, almost, and he's going to take a little while to you know get up there. But um, they're relatively thin in general in terms of position prospects who are ready to contribute right now. We're going to take another timeout to tell you about Hydrant. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC. So you mentioned that Will Myers is kind of a thorn in the side of the Padres. Well, he's he's quite uh, he's quite thorny to the Giants as well. <laughs> um, Giants fans would probably be surprised to hear that um, just because it, it seems like every time he comes to San Francisco, uh, he he leaves with a couple homers in his in his in his uh, under his belt. Seventeen homers in uh, 280 at bats lifetime uh, in San Francisco in that ballpark. Uh, and there was there was one year where he hit more right-handed home runs than any Giant did. It was like he hit six, Nick Hundley hit five, Hunter Pence hit four, Buster Posey hit three. It's just, and I've talked to him about it. I'm like, what? What? Why do you just succeed here? And he's like, I hate playing here. I don't know. I do not. I do not <laughs> like coming here. I'm glad when we leave. Um, but uh, what what do you think the Padres will do with Will Myers? I mean, he's a guy who he's kind of confounding because you know we've seen sunk costs, we've seen guys who are way overpaid, and and the, the production is just not there, and they're only on the roster because you know somebody in, in upper management doesn't want to release them. But he still seems like he's a talented, useful guy. Is it just is is the is the effort there? Does he not want to play when he's nicked up? You know what what's sort of the knock on him? I know a war isn't the be all end all for a lot of people, but if you actually look at his um, how he's performed in terms of wins above replacement over the last couple of years, he's actually outperformed Eric Osmer, which isn't hard to do in that in that category because War hasn't been kind to Hosmer at all. Um, obviously, he's playing first base, so that makes it tougher for him to you know net out as a positive. Um, on the Padres and Will Myers has actually been, you know, decent at times uh, when he's been able to stay on the field, which has been a big problem. Uh, number one, staying healthy. But number two, they, they, I think personality-wise, they thought they were getting something else when they extended him. Um, obviously, you can argue they probably should have done more homework. Um, and thinking that, you know, he could be a leader on this team. He's it's just not his personality. He's, as you hear, you know, like he's very candid about a lot of stuff. Like, you know, he hates hitting at Oracle for some reason, even though. It's really well there. He actually hits, I think, pretty well at most uh, most of the NL West ballparks. So if they do have this big West uh, division between NL West and AL West teams this season, I think Will Myers could have a pretty good season. I just think they uh, they felt like you know Eric Hosmer. He's got a no trade clause, so he's not really going anywhere right now. And after all, we committed to him, and probably a bad luck to just you know try to jettison a guy just a couple of years after you signed him for a big deal. And Will Myers, he doesn't have a no trade clause, so. He's a guy who doesn't really have a great position right now with Hosmer there, and he's a guy who could, 
you know, he, he could maybe still help a team. So I think that's, that's the thing there, but I don't think a lot of teams are falling for that over the winter. And, you know, the whole Mookie Betts, Will Myers trade talk was just, uh, you know, predicated on, uh, you know, cost for, uh, for each team. And I, I don't think if, uh, Boston had, you know, completed that trade with, uh, with the Padres, but I don't think that Will Myers would have been there very long. So, uh, he's, he's a guy who's going to continue to be in trade talks. If we do have trade talks this summer or, uh, most likely more likely next year. But uh, if you look at his contract, it goes up to 20 million this year and it go, it's going to stay there for the next couple of years. So it's going to be hard to move that kind of contract in this financial environment going forward. So maybe at this point, their best hope is to hope he uh, just continues to rake at Oracle and all these other NLS ballparks. If there's one young Padres player that fascinates me and I cannot get a read on him, it's Ty France. And you've got, okay, so he's a San Diego State kid. He's got local roots. He sort of puttered around the minor leagues. And then last year, he just went bananas. I know it's the Pacific Coast League, and I know those numbers were squirrely all over. But he hit 399 with 27 homers. And an on-base percentage that was high. His strikeout-to-walk ratio was solid. You know, the, he had, uh, I think, 51 strikeouts, 30 walks. You know, so he's not just a big hacker. And those are numbers that get you a look. And he got a look. And then he came up and didn't do much, you know, so the Padres are still confused about him. What are their plans with him? And do you have a read on whether or not it's the triple A season that was the outlier or if they're still predicting big things for him? He's in a really tough spot because he, as you said, he, he really, I mean, he just dominated the Pacific Coast League, which isn't as hard as it used to be, especially after they changed the balls. Um, but he, he just did everything that you could have asked out of, especially a 34th rounder who played for uh, Tony Gwynn, by the way, at San Diego State. Uh, this is a guy who wasn't supposed to really become anything. And he did. So credit to the Potteries for making a good late round pick there. Um, but he uh, he plays third base and he plays first base. So he's blocked at both positions long term with the Potteries. And they tried to put him at second base a little bit, give him some exposure to that. He's been uh, catching in spring training, or he was catching in spring training periodically. So they've been trying to find ways to just uh, you know, keep him, you know, just uh, agile around the field in case an opening does arise. But if you look at every every one of those positions, they're just not a fit for him in the you know foreseeable future. So I think he's a guy who could be on his way out of the organization if they can uh, find a trade partner for him. But um, at the same time, if he stays in the organization, it's a matter of where do you put him? You can't put him in AAA because he's just going to hit 400 there again. And that, you know, it's kind of just a waste of everyone's time. And if you put him on the major league roster, he's not going to get a lot of playing time. So he's a guy who's stuck in the middle, um, no position that he can really uh, have a future at, at least in San Diego. Um, but I think it's just overall a good story for him that he's a 34th rounder who made it to the majors. And yes, he hasn't really produced yet, but I think in the right situation, he could be at least a decent, maybe utility or bench piece for, uh, for another team. No, we, we've talked a lot about the pitching that's coming on the way and, and how the Padres are maybe a little behind when it comes to position players, but there's two, two guys in the system, CJ Abrams, uh, their top pick, uh, center fielder, very athletic. And then you've got, the guy that I think could be interesting is Taylor Trammell, who, you know, we, we've talked a lot about what the Padres have done from a transactional standpoint. I mean, they've been very frenetic, trading a lot of pieces, a lot of players. They gave up Fran Mil Reyes, who, uh, uh, who was really kind of a fan favorite and, um, you know, the Franimal. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to trade a guy like that. And they get involved in, in, in a three-team deal with Trevor Bauer going to Cincinnati, and they end up with uh, Taylor Trammell out of that deal. Um, wh- which of those two guys uh, between Trammell and, and, um, 
and Abrams, do you think we'll have the smoother path to the big leagues? Well, Trammell is really, really pretty close. I'd mentioned earlier that they don't really have many, you know, position player prospects who are close to the majors. And I, I guess I neglected to mention him. He's a guy who's, uh, he's already reached double A. He's played, played a full season there. Um, didn't have a great year last year before the trade. And then after the trade, he was still slumping. Uh, and then the, the playoffs came around and he was kind of the postseason hero for double A Amarillo out there in Texas. So he's a guy who could be up very soon. Um, I think a lot of people are split on where he plays in the outfield. Uh, he's at center field right now, but his arm isn't very strong. So there's a thought that he's best off as a left fielder um, where you have Tommy Pham right now. Uh, so he's he's someone they're going to have to figure out what to do with in the next year or two. And maybe this um, shutdown kind of you know answers that question for them if Tommy Pham comes out with only one year with them and they can maybe move Trammell around the field in the meantime. Uh, but he's... Uh, He's definitely very close to the majors, I would say. He had a great spring. And C.J. Abrams, actually, I wouldn't discount his chances of getting up to the majors relatively quickly. I mean, he hit 400 in the AZL, and that's just the AZL, and maybe some of the pitching there is not as good as some of the upper-level amateur pitching he was facing in the summer as a high schooler. Um, but he's he's a guy who could move very quickly, and he can play center field or he can play second base. Uh, I think think there, so... If he uh, if he does what he did last year in single A and he's um, you know he's killing everyone maybe he's uh, up in double A by the end of the next minor league season and as you guys know if you're in double A I mean like anything can happen from there so uh, those two guys are definitely guys I would expect on say a taxi squad um, if they have if they have uh, a taxi squad this year if there's a season and T.J. Abrams could surprise some people. But in general, I think Trammell's, you know, a lot closer to space on age and experience. All right. Well, this has been episode 72 of the Bags and Brisby show. Uh, I got to tell you, the Padres, to me, are the most fascinating team in baseball. And you got to just dig into it. They've got the, the biggest variants. They are just the young players, players who need a bounce back. Like, i just fascinated by them. So thanks to Dennis Lynn for coming along and talking Padres. We will be back on Monday. Thanks for listening.